0: All right, everybody. How's everybody doing? Okay, smile. All right. Yeah. So for the past several weeks, we've been engaged in this sermon series called "Less Is More," and it's uh, based on a devotional of the same name put out by Renovari. They're the the publisher. Um, and it's designed during the season of Lent. Um, the, these topics we've been going over have encouraged us to consider things like, like the pace of our lives right now and the priorities and the investments that we've been making in our lives. And I hope you have been. I've been invited into some deeper wholeness and opportunities for intimacy with Jesus. And the devotionals and the sermon text have been challenging me to kind of reprioritize where I'm putting my emphasis in life. Um, And so far, we've explored different disciplines, such as silence and solitude as a way of helping us slow down so we can be fully present with ourselves and with God in kind of a more focused and unhurried way. We've considered how fasting might be able to help us curb our appetites for for things of the world or the flesh. Um, And so we can learn a little bit more dependence on Jesus rather than just literally feeding my anxieties, whether it's food or drink or whatever it is. Um, the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the twin disciplines of simplicity and frugality, recognizing that our material possessions and our finances can shield us in a lot of ways from our, our need for God. And if we're not careful, the good gifts that God gives us to, to kind of distribute to the world and to use to invest in the kingdom, those good gifts can in themselves become like little gods to us if we're not careful. And we started this whole, se- whole series by talking about silence and personal prayer. And it's fitting then that tonight we're going to be closing our Lenten series by focusing on a different kind of prayer. Uh, rather than just being silent with God and, and, and soaking in, in silent prayer, this type of prayer is intercessory prayer. Um, the kind of prayer that we pray for other people. Human beings have been given an incredibly um, powerful source and privilege in that we are not only able to pray, but we're invited to pray and to seek God and his blessing for the sake of other people. Where we may lack faith and power and wisdom, where we might lack the ability to actually help a hurting friend or sway the tide of like a very sick society, the God of heaven and earth can hear those prayers, and can do the things that we cannot do. But I have to admit, and you're probably right there with me, that as wonderful a privilege as we are given to to be able to approach God in prayer, it doesn't make praying any easier at all. Um, Most people, when asked about prayer, hang their heads, including me, and I'm usually just like, oh, I wish I was better at it, or I wish I were more consistent at it i wish i liked it more i mean you can be honest like it's just it's hard to always be good at prayer Uh, it's difficult our desire to pray comes and goes and sometimes it just goes and doesn't come back and maybe that's the season you're in right now and there's a mystery that surrounds intercessory prayer like how should i pray is there a right technique and how often should i do it and what should i pray for and then why should i pray if god already knows all this stuff and why is it so hard if he tells us to pray And then with so much pain in the world and so many people in our lives, like where do you even begin? And it strikes me as incredibly healthy to just accept the fact that you and I are desperate for God's grace, like to even pray at all. We're just as desperate for his grace to pray as we are for life and meaning and provision and salvation. And thankfully, God has given some incredibly powerful and practical ways of aiding us in prayer. And the, the passage that we are going to be looking at tonight is familiar, because I've preached on it before. And if you're visiting from Bellingham Covenant, I just preached on it this fall. But, uh, man, it is like one of my favorite prayers in all of the Bible. And I love, I love this prayer. So I am going to preach it again. And if you are able, here's how it goes. Would you stand with me? Ephesians 3 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner person, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. What an amazing prayer. In the Greek language, it is just one long run-on sentence. Like, there's no punctuation in that, baby. It's one of Paul's classic I'm so excited about stuff, I just need to get it out, and he just, well, I imagine him praying this thing in, in prison, and he's just overflowing with the realization of who God is, and how powerful he is, and how good he is, and he wants the church, that means he wants us, to just know what we have in God, and in this gift of prayer. This is no, Lord, help me to get over this cold, or I've got two really good decisions to make. Do I, you know, pick a shirt in blue or green? It's always blue, by the way. But um, anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's not just some little anemic prayer. This is this is a powerful prayer. Paul. Pro- and, and so it, it begs the question, like what prompts Paul to pray this powerful prayer? Where does he get off thinking he can ask for the fullness of God to, to fill us up? I mean, this is an amazing thing. And so he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what is the reason that he's talking about? And I think the answer to that question is what comes prior to the prayer, all three and a half chapters of Ephesians. And so just to summarize, here are some of the things that Paul has talked about thus far in his letter. He's written, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, chosen us before the foundation of the world, predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters, redeemed us through the blood of Jesus, forgiven us made, us, made known to us the mystery of his will, given us the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, loved us, made us alive together in Christ. And that's just, that's just one part. Okay, now I'm gonna breathe and say, Paul also writes that in Christ, we are chosen God's own inheritance, once dead but made alive together in Christ. We are God's workmanship, his new creation, of God's household, a living temple, a dwelling of the living God. We are the manifold wisdom of God revealed. And it's with these amazing realities in mind that Paul just explodes this prayer onto the page and that we get to receive as the church. Paul can pray this powerful prayer because he's overcome with this extravagantly generous God. And and it's a prayer that you and I can pray too. And and that's that's why I want to preach on it today as we're talking about the discipline of intercessory prayer. And if you by yourself or in a small group are walking through that less is more devotional, there'll be all kinds of opportunities this week to practice intercessory prayer. But what I recognize is two things. When is uh, most of us, and me included, depending on the day, uh, doubt. Right? Faith comes, goes, comes, goes. It's hard. And then the other thing is just it's hard to have a consistent rhythm of praying for people. And what I find in this prayer is like a source of faith. And I also find it to be kind of a template, actually exactly a template. Like you can literally pray the lines of this prayer for yourself and for other people, And so when you're sitting there saying, okay, I want to try this intercessory prayer thing, I feel stuck, I don't know where to begin, I can imagine few better prayers than this to pray for, or or, or to pray over somebody, all right? So what we're going to do is walk through the prayer together and make some observations. And the first thing I want to say is, uh, Paul begins this thing, he says, uh, for this reason I bow my knees, right? Paul is so overwhelmed with gratitude and humility for all that God has done, he's brought to his knees, and at the same time that he's on his knees, Paul addresses God as Father, which is relational. In Paul's culture, fathers were not just like one half of a child; like you get half your DNA from your mother and half from me. It's not this the scientific thing that dads are like. Fathers in the ancient world or providers and protectors and masters of their whole family system. And so for those who have a hard time thinking of father that could be anything good, I always refer to to John 14. Because in John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I know there's a lot of us out there that maybe our father figures weren't the greatest, and so thinking of God as father can be a stretch. But what if we replace our earthly father with Jesus? Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. And here's how that helps, because when I look at Jesus, when I read Jesus in in the Gospels, man, this is a father who interacts with warmth and compassion and strength and love and joy. You know, a lot of times in life, we get one or the other. We get a lot of strength from some dads, but not a lot of compassion. And we get a pushover, but not, like, I need you to be strong for me, Dad. And with Jesus, we get the full package, and it's beautiful. And so when we look at Jesus, we can say, that's what the Father's like, and that's someone I can trust, that's someone I can pray to. A part of this praying, uh, this prayer for others, might be that they would come to know God as this kind of loving Father. Like, that might be one of the things, as you imagine the people in your life that you'd like to pray for. In a world where we have so many significantly, significantly broken relationships, knowing we are loved by this kind of heavenly father is a powerful request in and of itself. And the point is, I think, that Paul is making is we're not just praying into the air. and We're not praying, praying to the kind of God that we have to appease with a bunch of gifts or good works or saying the right words. We are praying to our father who, who created us and loves us, and hears us. And then now that invites us into actually getting into the meat of the prayer that Paul is teaching us. There's six main movements in this prayer. Um, I like to think of them as building blocks, okay? And we're going we're to gonna kind of build this prayer together as we walk through it. On the ground floor, Paul, uh, his first building block is this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. So first he prays that we would be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. God's glory, what is that? That is the bundle of qualities that makes God, God. God's glory is his godness. It's all of the stuff about him that makes him God. It's the sum total of his godliciousness. Paul recognizes the inexhaustible riches of God's glory and he appeals to it as if to say what I am saying is or what I am asking for is bigger than the sum total of all human achievement. I've come to the end of my rope with what I can do as a human being and Frankly, we've come to the end of our rope of what we can do as a human society. We need something bigger outside of ourselves to fix this mess that we've created. We need the Godness, the glory of God. And when we're praying for people, we might be overcome. I'm often overcome by the seriousness of their circumstances. Maybe the seriousness of our circumstances. Maybe you're you're, you're praying for someone and their depression is overwhelming. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Their illness seems impossible. Their hardness of heart or their fears. None of those things, though, is too much for God. Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power. And that Greek word for power is dunamis, which means like dynamic. It's where we get our word dynamite. It is action-packed. And he prays that the Holy Spirit would give us that power in the inner person. The inner person is a way of talking about the heart or the personality or the control center of who we are. It's what makes you, you. It's who you really are, like when nobody's looking, that's the inner person. And it might be strength, it might be really nice to pray a prayer like, God, would you give me. More strength in my legs so I could ski all day or you know, mountain bike up hills all day or give me more strength in my lower back because I'm getting old and it hurts. Or, you know, it might be nice to have lots of physical strength. But if God gives us all of this kind of external power but doesn't change the inner person, oh man, we would be monsters. We'd be monsters. So he prays. That through his leadership, we we are encouraged to pray that people would be strengthened with power, dynamite, Holy Spirit power in their inner person. So the person in our lives who is struggling with a real addiction needs God power in the inner person to break free. They don't need just more advice. They don't just need more verbal encouragement. All of those things are important. But a person needs the God power to break that. The person in our lives who's struggling with their identity, their worth, their place in the world needs the power of God so that that the affirmation of the Father can break through all of those tapes and lies that says, no, you're not good enough. No, you're confused. No, you don't know who you are. The person in our lives who's thinking about giving up on their marriage needs to be strengthened by God in the inner person. Best advice, best practices cannot in themselves heal anyone or change a broken heart or change a mind. That takes God power. The person who lives with deep emotional scars from past abuse or horrible trauma, this person needs a strengthening from the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity who was at creation, who touched Mary's womb and brought forth the incarnate Jesus, the one who has taken up residence in the church, this is the one who has the power to heal and to bring lasting change. That's why we don't mess around just with our good advice in prayer. We seek the one who has the power to do something about it, amen? It's okay, I know we're a little tired. Let's do this. Who doesn't need to be strengthened with dynamite power in their inner person? I do. Have you ever tried following Jesus? (laughs) It's really difficult. Like it takes more than willpower. It takes grace. And it takes that, that change, that power in the inner person. So ask yourself, where do I need that kind of God power in my life? Where do the people in my life need God power? Who can I be praying for? Where does Lettered Streets Covenant Church need that God power? In our congregation, in our leadership, in our vision. The ripples that can go out from there. The second building block Paul employs is that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. We've already prayed for the power of God's Spirit to strengthen us, our friends, our neighbors, uh, the people we pray for. But now we go even further. Father, from the riches of your glory, may Jesus fill my heart and the hearts of those people I'm praying for. Now, just quick two theological clarifications in case you're already ahead of me on this part. First, what if the person I'm praying for doesn't follow Jesus? Like, is it really right to just say, fill their heart up or, you know, strengthen? How can I legitimately pray this prayer if the person I'm praying for doesn't already submit themselves to the Lord? Well, if the person you're praying for isn't a disciple of Jesus, you can just turn this into an evangelistic one. Like, Lord, grant faith to my brother or to my sister Grant faith to my daughter, to my son. Grant faith to my neighbor. Faith that opens their heart and mind to Jesus. By the way, your best apologetics or your wittiest, you know, whatever, that's not going to do it. You need God to release faith. You know who the the great evangelist is? Uh, Even Billy Graham would have said this, is the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. Like, we only respond to what the Spirit's already doing in someone else's heart. If you care about somebody, you want them to know the Lord, a child a neighbor a friend start praying for them because that's how that happens the second theological clarification is this if i'm praying for someone who is a follower of jesus well don't they already like have god in their hearts don't they already have christ in their hearts why why am i praying this this is a strange thing well, in biblical Greek, there's two main ways of saying to dwell in something or in someone. Uh, one way is para koikeo. Um, so you don't fall asleep, say para <laughs> Yeah, you won't fall asleep if you say that. Para koikeo, which means to dwell as a visitor, right? So para koikeo describes the way we might, um, when someone comes over for, to spend the night, right? Like your kid has a, a, a a sleepover, or um, my mother-in-law was sli- actually my mother-in-law didn't spend the night last night, right? So she Parakoika, she was there last night. She's gone today, and um, and so we we made a little space for her in this kind of third room where we have a Euro sleeper couch, and uh, we like to put all the crap under the couch, and you know she's comfortable there. We co- make sure it's clean, but we don't like like she's only Parakoikaing, right? Like she's just she's just there a little bit. Um. But the time may come in our life when someone needs to stay longer, like move in with us for some reason. Like we live in the house, right? And that word is katoi kao. Katoi kao. Can you say that and not fall asleep? Katoy kao, right. Um, to live with, to dwell in for a permanent time. And I guarantee you, like if my mother-in-law was in that same room, like we wouldn't just continue to put toys under the bed and just say like, just deal with it for like the rest of your life. Like we would probably want to, what color would you like to paint the room? And let's get a new bed that's more comfortable than a Euro sleeper couch because you're gonna be here a while. And you, you know, we would do things to fix up the place, to make it hospitable for the one who's going to cut a quiet keto there, right? And I think the reason that we're not more full of christ more effective in ministry more potent as the church is because a lot of us really don't want jesus to move in permanently we love him to visit we love him to visit when we go to church or or bible study or when there is a hardship in our lives and we really man i i realize i really need him right now and so uh, we, we we straighten up the junk in our hearts Uh, We get on the straight and narrow for little fits and starts um, and we get on our knees and we say, come Lord, we need you. Um, And I think we've, we've grown like as a church in the West, in general, as evangelicals, too comfortable saying, Jesus is in my heart. Or all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart. But I'm not sure we always communicate, I'm not sure we always know what all that means. Is asking Jesus into my heart just a way of saying, God, take away my guilt and make me happy? See, Paul's prayer is powerful. He prays that Jesus would take up permanent residence in our hearts. We ask the Father to help us remodel our hearts. So that it is a place that Jesus is comfortable in, a pure and holy heart. And that means we invite Jesus into these dark areas in our lives, and we ask him to transform them. We ask him to uh, invite him to work and to ask him to help us make choices that, that honor him and serve other people and make the world better. It means we invite Jesus into our relationships, into our romances, into our friendships, And we ask him to give us true love for people, integrity and joy and patience. We ask him to rule in our inner person, not to show up when we want him to and then to leave when we're feeling better. Paul's third building block in this incredible intercessory prayer is that out of the riches of his glory, the father would have uh, us rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. It's been noted that Paul is kind of mixing his metaphors here, which he does quite a bit. Um, Sorry, philosopher Ryan, but I I, I can't rewrite it for Paul. So he's just mixing metaphors. Let's just be honest about it. Um, And and what what he's doing is he's using an agricultural metaphor, like a taproot going down that would be rooted deep in this kind of aquifer of God's love, his agape love. And and then the second metaphor is architectural. Literally, it means to lay a foundation, that we would be rooted, drawing up the love of Jesus, and that we'd be grounded, anchored, built on a foundation of Jesus' love. Could you benefit from a prayer like that coming true in your life? Being rooted right over the aquifer of Jesus' love so that you're taking up his life. Grounded on a foundation of Jesus' love so that when life gets hard, you're You've got a water source, a life source, and a foundation. That's what we're invited to pray in this prayer. For ourselves, for the people we love, for not only our local church, but the church around the world. This is a fantastic prayer. The fourth building block is that we'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. The object of the sentence is, carried over from the previous one. Uh, It is the love of Jesus. And there's four prepositions, breadth, length, height, and depth. And they describe the vastness of Jesus' love. And the prayer is that we would comprehend the vastness of this love that literally just says it can't really be measured. It's like breadth, length, and height, and depth. just There's no end to this love. And the prayers that we would, we would comprehend it. And, you know, in English, comprehend means to understand something uh, cognitively. Right? If I comprehend my, my, my comprehension of what I'm reading in school, I'm able to tell you what the paragraph said and what it meant. That's a cognitive comprehension. But that's deceiving because in Greek, the word for comprehend means to grasp or to apprehend or to seize, or to take hold of. And and the prayer is that we ask the Father that by the riches of His glory, that is, by the treasure houses of your godness, all of your power, and what makes you you, living God, would you give us the ability not merely to comprehend, but to apprehend the vast love of Jesus, That the people we pray for would receive this love and the wholeness of their person. Man, that's amazing. The fifth block that we're building on is to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Literally, to experience uh, experience personally that which is beyond our capability to know. (laughs) Which is why we have to experience it and not just think about it. To experience personally a love too vast for us to know. To know the love that motivated Jesus to die on a cross to rescue us. To know firsthand the love that He has for all living things, His creation, and the creatures in it. To not just seize upon the love of Jesus, but experience it and so that it makes us new on the inside and out, so that it, it rewires the way that we think about the world so that we, we stop seeing the world as something to consume and to please us rather than something to, to, to love and to steward and to, um, to shepherd and care for, to be sub-creators rather than just sub-consumers. Father, out of the riches of your glory, help us, help those we love to know the bottomless superabundance of Jesus' love. That's what this is about. Sixth, and we're nearly to the crescendo now. Father, out of the riches of your glory, fill me, fill us, and fill all we pray for with your fullness. Fill us with your character, with your love, with your creativity, with your wisdom your purity, your grace, your beauty, your holiness, your, you could just keep going with all of the characteristics of God. When we say fill us to all the fullness of God, we are not saying make us gods. After all, Daryl Johnson notes filling a glass of water doesn't make the glass water, right? It's filling it up. They're two different things. Being filled with the fullness of God actually means make us fully human. It is what we were designed to be from the very beginning. Sin has warped us so that we often fill ourselves with other things. But we can pray for ourselves and for those that we love that we would be filled with the very life of God. Now, we have built this tower of intercessory prayer. Well, Paul did and we just like looked at his building blocks. There's six of them each block more powerful, building into this amazing ask of God. But I want to just take a moment before we close for three observations and a question. First, an observation about the verbs. All the active verbs in this prayer, that's the stuff that you have to do. All of the active verbs in this prayer are God's responsibility. I want you to know, every time we're preaching gospel or epistles or anything out of scripture, there's good news in it. It is my job to show us the good news. Don't let me get off the stage if I've ever just left you with things to do. You got to hear about these verbs. All of the active verbs are God's responsibility. We ask that God would grant that God would fill, that God would strengthen, that God would dwell in us. The only active verb in the whole prayer for you and I to do is to kneel. It's the only thing. It was was Paul kneeling. He was just saying what he was doing. He didn't even say you had to kneel. So you don't have to kneel to make it work or something. But kneeling is a, a sign of submission. It's a sign of saying, Lord, I'm trusting you to do the stuff I'm about to pray for. We receive, we are filled, we are strengthened. This prayer asks God to do what we cannot, and that's where the power of this prayer comes from. Our doubts don't matter when we trust God to do the work, even in our doubting. Second, just notice the Trinity, all here in the prayer, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Paul puts them all in his prayer, and we can too. God isn't just like, A person who likes relationships, God is a relationship. Before he created human beings, he was already fulfilled in a relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you pray this prayer, you involve the Trinity. You're being a triune, uh, Trinitarian Christian, which is very orthodox of you. Good job. Third, notice the power of this prayer, the impossibility of any of these things actually happening without the intervention of God. Notice how huge an ask we are asking and invited to ask uh, with Paul, who set the stage for us. Which leaves us with the question of how. How how can any of this come to pass? To which the answer is found in the superabundance of God himself his superabundant power and love and compassion and generosity. I want to close with his prayer for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.